All right, so last week we started Igeres HaKadosh Ois Chof Hei where he comes to the defense of a sefer called Tzavos HaRivosh which normally would be translated as the will of the Baal Shem Tov. First thing he says, it wasn't a will. Second thing he says, it was really not written well. It's a not well written will. <laughs> And the point that he makes there in Zavos is that even if you hear a guy speaking to a middle Shemon and he's staring at Shemon that that too is Hashem trying to get your attention and you're supposed to do something with it. And the Misnagdim went bonkers over the... How dare you? How could you say that? So he begins here with the following. We'll run through quickly what we did last week. The first thing he says... Is it says that anybody who gets angry, it's as he, it's as if he is an idolater because he is denying Hashem's dominion and operation of the world. Clearly, this was supposed to happen to him. Why this person did it is between him and God. That's not our. That's not your issue. That was number one that he presented. Number two was that. Um, he presented the idea that the Baal Shem Tov said, that creation is an ongoing process, not a one-time deal, but that the Mamorim of Bereshis, the Mamorim of the Bria, are ongoing creations that continue to go, and he brought a Kalvachimer from Kriyas Yamsuf, by Kriyas Yamsuf, which, which was water that was already pre-existing. It required a constant moment by moment keeping the water up there before it came crashing down. How much more so when you're creating something out of nothing that that requires a moment by moment new creation. I don't remember last week I told you about the the Divrechaim. We discussed the Divrechaim. The Divrechaim says that an extension of this fact that the world is creation, created moment by moment anew, means that every moment has a new demand, has a new opportunity mm-hmm. of Aveda. Now, um, he, he draws a distinction between the chius, the life force that exists even in clumps of earth, requires something to create it. What's giving it its existence? Something's got to give it has got to create it at this moment. There's a spark of Akadosh Baruch that's creating it now at this at this moment, and certainly that's the case with the bodies and the beings of uh, Jews and non-Jews and so on. There has to be a nitzutz. There has to be a spark of chiyus that is giving it its sustenance at this moment. That's where we're going to take it up now on Kuf Mem which would be the equivalent of 279 on the bottom. The paragraph begins, nefesh ha'odam. Behold the soul of man. Everybody knows. So when we're dealing with humanity, humanity has something above the animal kingdom, something above the minerals and the plants, and that is something called wisdom. Sorry, Aitan. Your dog is stupid. So, Chabad, Chachma Binadas, is a human quality. 
Even though all of these levels come from the breath Kaviyochal of Hashem. Kidachsev, as the Pasuk itself says, that Hashem blew into man a soul. But when you're dealing with the individual aspect of Chachma Binudar Shebinavshoi, Hendugma Lechabad Shebiyud Sviris, Hamachunis Beshem Abba Veiba Veima Umidois. I'm sorry. So the Chachma Binadas, the intellectual capacities of the human being, they come from whatever their counterpart is on high, which is called Abba Ve'ima, meaning Abba Ve'ima are the father and mother, meaning that which comes before the Midas, that which comes before speech, right? So that's the, when, when a person uses his Chachma Binadas, he's appealing to a higher place. And when you want to talk about humanity, now we just turn the page to 280. When we're talking about humanity using their actual emotions, they are comparable to the heavenly ten character traits. However, but when we're talking about speech, the power of human speech, that is dogma That also is a comparison to the heavenly speech. That is the terminology. He's going to give two synonyms here. One of them is the synonym called Malchus. The second one is called Shechina. And these are two words that are used interchangeably. Why is Malchus have anything to do with Tibur? Because in the ideal world, the king is not seen among the people. The king stays hidden behind many curtains. It is only when the king reveals his word to his kingdom, so that comes through the speech of the king. And therefore, Malchus is the speech of the king. So too is it the Shekhinah as he described earlier because it was the Dibur. Hashem creates his world with speech and that speech continues to sustain the world. Now he says some very biting words. When a Jew speaks, utters, enunciates words of Torah, that creates a response in the heavenly realm of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's speech yeah it's a nice thing to think and it's a nice thing to act and do things but speech has a power within it that it is it unifies the concept of Malchus as nothing else does for this reason, because of this power of the unification of human speech and the speech above, what is required by Krishna, the reading of the Shema, and saying the brachas after we eat bread, and when we study Torah, one does not fulfill the mitzvah correctly, 
by reading the words with his eyes or by thinking words of Torah, it requires speech. Because that is the unification of the Malchus below with the Shechina above. Now, that doesn't mean it's worthless to think Dibritur, nor is it even perhaps permissible to think Dibritur, for instance, without saying Berchasatur. But the ideal form of Limudatur is to enunciate the words of Tur, to speak the words. The Shina and Malchus are different forms of the same thing. Right, they're viewed as synonyms. Okay. Next paragraph. Now, so that's what were we? We were just talking about words of Shema, of benching, of Torah. Those words we're saying are the manifestation of the Shechina in this world. Okay, now we're going to go and move this into that guy that the Baal Shem Tov was talking about. That's talking while we're trying to daven. We know that Hashem created everything with a counterpart. There are ten crowns of the world of impurity. And from then, from those ten powers, stem the souls of the idolaters. They are also They are also comprised of these ten levels. Mamish. And everybody knows that which it says, that which the Arizal writes in the Sefer about Gilgulim. The Pasuk says that man rules over man to, to his own detriment. Says the Arizal, what is he talking about? Explains the Arizal, that this refers to the exile of the Shechina within the dark side, as it's called, within the world of the Klippas, to give them their sustenance, not only that, but to give them dominion over the Jewish people when we are in Golos, Bismana Golos. Two things. It gives them their existence and their sustenance, it even gives them the ability to rule over us. But ultimately, ultimately it's going to come back and bite them. It's going to destroy them. And for this reason, the non-Jews ruled over that those souls of the idolatrous nation that we know come from the Klippas, that the Shechina is in the greatest form of exile. The, the Shechina is sustaining idolatry. Even though this requires great elaboration, how it works, why it works, I don't really care, he says. I'm telling you the truth. The truth is that the Arizal says that the non-Jews are sustained by the Shechina. That's all there is to learn. That's all there is for us to know here. That the, the idolatrous nations are also sustained by the, the Nitzot HaKadosh that's in Golos within them. Okay, I don't have to understand why. Nonetheless, even though that's the truth, finally says, 
we all accept that the fact that the idolatrous nations, they're receiving their life, their life force from the undesirable, from that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kabiyachu throws over his shoulder at them. Command the shoulder basakasvah, like, here, take this. Fine, it's not his desire. Vav Gamzoi said, even that which he's throwing at them over his shoulder because it's so against his true will to sustain them, even that that they're getting is all Tzimtzumim comes through many masks. Umaskim Rabim and Masachim Rabim, many curtains about Tzumim. You know how far it is. Achin Islam It is so far that that godly energy is contained in shrimp and in chazer and in all kinds of other physical things. Or else it couldn't exist. Correct. And what's more, it gives the idolatrous nations like Saudi Arabia and, and their and their ilk oisher, wealth, recovered and honor and nice robes and all the other physical pleasures that they have. All of it comes from that Back, back casting life source. But that's not the case with the Jew. Klal Yisrael derives their energy from Hashem's face, from His true desire. Like we say in the Pulsing, Hashem will shine His countenance, His face at you. Each and every Jew, according to his level, can actually perceive and receive his sustenance directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Adur Mamalas, to the highest of levels. So the non-Jewish kingdoms, the idolatrous nations, are receiving their chiyos, and it turns into all kinds of twisted stuff. Klai Yisrael is able to receive Kedusha, and Torah, and Mitzvahs, and all kinds of things from Hashem's true desire. Now, he wipes him out. Now that I've told you these truths, that anybody, anybody who's a half a brain realizes how true what I'm telling them is. Now let's go back to what we started with. Let's talk about anger. We quoted Chazal. That Chazal tells us that anybody who gets angry is like an idolater. But that only applies if we get angry about physical stuff that happens. Because we're we getting angry at. Everything is in God's hands. Other than the fear of heaven. Meaning, everything HaKadosh Baruch is calling the shots about, except for moral and ethical choice. That He gives us the right to make choices about. All the for this reason. When it comes to matters that pertain to heaven, when it comes to removing a Jew from doing something which is forbidden, you can't argue with me that you're not allowed to get angry at somebody who's transgressing. Because that is his choice. If you want to tie uh, that somebody hurt me financially, physically, wasn't his choice. It was decreed by heaven. Somebody's acting immorally. Somebody's desecrating the Torah. That's their choice. Then I have a responsibility to get angry at them if that's the way that is going to set them on the straight path. 
We find no less than Moshe Rabbeinu getting angry at people. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu clearly was not serving idols. He was getting angry because they made immoral choices. Hashem gave him the opportunity to do this mitzvah to separate someone from doing something forbidden. They gave him the opportunity to do the mitzvah of Techacha. I find it so ironic that here the creator of Chabad philosophy is saying that the way to rebuke people might be with kas, with anger. Call him out on it. It's not always of you know the lovey dovey, uh, the huggy, you know the 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 the, uh, the the kissing and the hugging and the, and anything goes. But there's a difference between losing and this kind of. Anger. Uh, also, it's, all, it's only it's also only if it's effective. No, I mean that's the third thing. Somebody told me. I was listening to a tape this week about the differences between the Musr given by Moshe Rabbeinu and the Musr given by Aaron HaKoyin. Aaron HaKoyin, Chazal tell us, was Ayyub Shalom, Reidiv Shalom. He loved people, he hugged people, he, he went to the worst violators and reached out to them with love. And that's why it says when Aaron HaKoyin died, every Jewish home mourned Aaron. But Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say that. So one of the commentaries said, what, Aaron HaKoyin? didn't have an obligation of techacha. He didn't have a mitzvah to rebuke. And the answer they gave is that rebuke is a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Every person has to offer rebuke in the most effective way for them. Maish Rabbeinu's rebuke was a slap across the face. Aaron Akayin had a different way. It wasn't that he was exempt from the mitzvah of rebuke. It's just that he found a different way to reach people. Now, look what he says here. Next paragraph on Kuf Memalev. When do we say that you're obligated to offer words of rebuke and to get angry if you have the ability to protest? Because, because with your wrath and your anger, I'll have against somebody else. Meaning, that Jew has free choice as to whether or not he should be talking during Kaddish. So you have an obligation of rebuke. But if there is no mitzvah to rebuke, like a non-Jew who's talking, who's disturbing your davening, which is what the Tzavos Harivosh was talking about. So there's no moral responsibility. So why is that guy why is that guy talking now and confusing you? We are obligated to ask the question. Why did Hashem place this person in my vicinity talking while I'm trying to daven? If it's a Jew, so I gotta turn around and blast him. Because he's making a moral choice. If it's a non-Jew, he's not making a moral choice. So why did Hashem put him in my vicinity? There are no accidents. We just proved that there are no accidents in the world. Hashem is creating this person at this moment and causing him to do this. So why is he doing it? 
אין זויס כי אם שיסגר בביסם מציוסי בתפילוסי. says the Balshem HaKadosh in Tzivos HaRivosh that the reason this guy is talking now is so that you will strengthen yourself. You're going to really godless look into and daven stronger and better. Boy, make a lave with deeper thought. Or become a good with greater intent. Kol kach with to such a degree actually yishma di buri hafei nizkodudim. says the Balshem HaKadosh the message is daven better. Daven stronger. Daven deeper. So you're not going to hear him. That's what the Moshe HaKadosh is saying. Meaning, why is this guy talking? This guy is a shliach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem is sustaining him and sending him right now to tell you to daven better. There is no other reason for him doing it. There can be no other reason for him doing it. To be at this level, to understand that everything that's happening is about you, a person's got to be at a very high level to be able to put forth that kind of effort. This advice, to be able to arouse the spirit to counter the distraction, one can derive the strength from exactly what's going on. Meaning, when a person is really going to think about it, he's going to contemplate. Look at this. We're dealing with the holiest of things. Speech itself. Speech, the power that creates everything, that brings everything into existence. And look where it is. It's in the lowly mouth of an idolater. Right? And look what it's doing. And not only that, but it has lowered itself so much so that a spark of that illumination went so low. It's in such an exile within the dark side to give this guy the energy. And worse yet, now this time, the spark of that illumination is in such a deep exile in the mouth of this guy who's telling dirty jokes well I'm trying to daven is there a God that's greater than this I'm trying to daven like a mensch the person should recognize must be that my davening is worth something. Why else would Hashem send the guy right now to, to speak and stare me? So I should draw my inspiration from the distraction itself. It should be the greatest inspiration for me. Hashem's holy speech is right now contained in the filthy mouth of this guy, this Golos. This is what the Pasuk is talking about, that man had the dominion over man, which will ultimately do evil to him. How? Because if I do this right, and I realize that Hashem sent him to stare me so that I'll strengthen my davening, who am I hurting? I'm, dis- I'm going to end up destroying him. Right, it's through this very person, the person is going to awaken and arouse himself to daven deeper and better, to the point where he won't even hear what he's saying. 
Ah, you're going to ask, Omash, the fact that the person who put together the Sefer called Tzavos Haribash used the word Sharsa, that the Shechina dwelled, that it lived. Okay, so he, he goofed up with the word. When he taught, he spoke in Yiddish. He didn't speak in Hebrew. What he meant to say is Nislabsha. He didn't mean that the Shechina dwelled there. He meant to say that the, the Shechina is enclosed, is embodied there for the moment. He meant to say that the Shechina is in Golos within this person, that's especially in the case if it's a non-Jewish then it's even a greater exile for speech don't ask me the question if a spark of the illumination of a Shechina is still called Shechina he says come on that's a cheap shot even a, a, a Malach who is a creation, Nikra B'Shem Hashem, is called by God's name himself, the Pirish Ramban, according to the Ramban, when the Malach appears to Hagar, it says that Hashem appeared to her, it's referring to a Malach who is a creation. That Hashem called out to her, it wasn't Hashem, it was an angel. There's many such examples. Don't hack me and cop about the fact that we're using the word shechina about a about a, a, a spark of the shechina. He says, I really think Two eighty-two. He says, you want to know the truth? They don't really care. The people who are complaining of this are not busy with the language. Their real problem is that they don't believe that the Shechina is sustaining the Klippus, the dark side. Because they are not believers in the teachings of the Arizal, of his teachings in the Sefer Gilgulim. If they're going to try to argue, that there's a distinction between the klipas that are spiritual, and there it is okay for um, the shechina to dwell. But avodas galilim agashmi, but not in goyim. That's already an insult. He says, "Get a life." Is there anything more physical than dirt itself? And despite that, by Malchus the Malchus we know that the Arizal teaches that contained in earth is Malchus of the Malchus of Asiya. And by extension, you have the Malchus of every one of thy lamas. Ah, you're going to ask, you're going to argue that because of the contamination of the souls of these idolaters, it's impossible that there's anything godly there. Again, the Arizal says explicitly, We know that the Arizal says where their souls come from. Nimtza. The bottom line is that the spiritual heights, the spiritual uh, greatness is the source of their contamination. 
In truth, it requires great elaboration. How it happens, he says, stop complaining and crabbing to us about us Hasidics. Your complaints are by against the writings of the Arizal. So stop picking on us and go back to the Arizal and complain to him and leave us alone. And don't suspect me. He says, don't suspect that I'm claiming to understand the words of the Arizal. To remove them from the physical format. I am only coming here to defend and explain the words of the Baal and his disciples. According to the Kabbalah taught by the Arizal. He says, don't try telling me that this concept that I'm teaching here is from the secrets of Kabbalah that should have been concealed. This is part of the revealed Torah that is for us and for our children to understand. This is something that every Jew must believe with complete faith. It's a pasuk in the Torah. The Torah says, I suffuse heaven and earth. No, Hashem, I promise, Hashem says. So it's not the Ariza, it's not the Bashem, it's not telling me that it's a pasuk in the Torah. You want to complain about it? Take it up with God. <laughs> the pasuk should not be taken out of a simple translation this is part of the faith of in every club and it's been handed down and transmitted from our forefathers who went with simple faith in Hashem with Hashem, without going into depth, trying to grasp this with their feeble human minds, in and about concepts in godliness, that supersede the human mind, to no limit, to understand, how he suffuses all the earth, new people who came on the horizon, to try to understand this, and to grasp this, and they, for them, it's impossible for them to be able to accept that Hashem is found in the earth and in Goyim and so on. And the the only way to grasp any of this is through the introductions that are taken from the writings of the Arizal Mufshatis Mikash Miyusan, removed from their physical format. As I heard from my teachers whose souls are in Ganadin, but the problem is that it's very difficult for me to put this into writing. If you want to understand this, come and pay me a visit. <laughs> this can be explained to individuals. Back up to the top of Kufman Those who really search out Hashem will understand this. And from the positive, you understand the negative. But those who don't want to see it will never see it. 
Final paragraph. Hineyatim Reisam. Behold, you have seen here. Pirish Maimer Echod Misvarim Hayiduim. You've seen just the explanation of one short paragraph in Tzavah Saribash. The Dugma Lois, as an example. Kigam Kolamam All of those things that they're picking on and they're questioning and taking apart. Every one of those words from the Magid and from the Balsham, as strange and as wondrous as they are, they have an explanation to anybody who has a handle in Kabbalah. But I can't gather this all together in writing. Because it is a cumbersome and huge work, it's impossible to do. If you really want, send me an individual, somebody unique, and mouth to mouth, face to face, I will speak to him, may my words find favor in your eyes. So, he does not pull any punches here about anyone who starts up with this Tzavos Arivash. He gives in that maybe they could have used a different word. They could have used, instead of the word uh, Sharsa, he could have used the word Shechina. But clearly, the Baal Shem HaKadosh knew and understood the Kisveri. And in fact, what the, the bottom line is where the uh, Baltani writes elsewhere that the true distinction between the Baal Shem Kodesh and the Vilna Goyim was in this one kuda, in this one detail as to whether or not all of the words of the Arizal were from Eliyahu Navi, or whether the Arizal said some of this from his own Chachma, and the Baltani wrote explicitly that that being the case, there is no middle ground. There's nothing to for us to meet about, to speak about, because um, our belief is that everything that the Arizal taught was Mipia Leo, and therefore it is untouchable and unquestionable. <laughs>